Today on This Week Health. We've got a team of clinicians standing by. Anyone can contact us and within 20 minutes be talking to a therapist or a peer supporter. What we're looking at doing is saying, how can we provide a digital means for folks to access care when they want it? Welcome to This Week Health Community. This is Town Hall, a show hosted by leaders on the front lines with interviews of people making things happen in healthcare with technology. My name is Bill Russell, the creator of This Week Health, a set of channels designed to amplify great thinking to propel healthcare forward. We want to thank our show sponsors, Olive, Rubric, Trellix, Medigate, and F5 in partnership with Sirius Healthcare for investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. Now, on to our show. Hello, everyone. Today's guest is one of my favorite CIOs in Colorado, Wes Williams. Wes is a CIO of Willpower. He has been recognized by multiple organizations for his work. In 2020, he received the Denver Business Journal C-Suite Award and the Colorado CIO of the Year Corporate Orbi Award. And in 2021, he received a National CIO of the Year Orbi nomination. He's also serving a three-year appointment by the governor to Colorado's e-health commission, representing behavioral health and interest. He is also a lecturer for the University of Denver. Wes, welcome to our town hall. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Awesome. So I'm going to make you do an introduction. How about that? Great. Yeah. Well, hello, everyone. I'm Wes Williams. I'm the Chief Information Officer at WellPower. Formerly, we were the Mental Health Center of Denver. We did a big rebrand in May of this year. And Carla, I'm looking forward to talking to you a little bit about the reasons behind that. I've been working in community mental health all my life, right? And I started out working on the clinical side, actually, working as a child and family psychologist before shifting 18 years ago into health IT role. And from there, I've been working to try to make, I think, the clinical systems, I don't know, easier to use so that our staff are able to sort of focus their time and attention on the people we serve rather than on sort of administrative burden technology. So yeah, I've been working on the eHealth Commission for the last four years now. I think my term runs through 2024. So I'm hoping that in that time, we will be able to solve some of the behavioral health consent issues that get in the way of health information exchange for programs that are covered by federal privacy rules around substance use disorders. So that is my bio in a nutshell. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate the intro. And you talked about the rebrand of your organization, right? The name used to be Mental Health Center, and then you transitioned to Wellpower. And I believe it was in May of this year. Can you talk about what was the strategy behind that? Yeah. So there were a couple of elements there. The two most important ones, though, where we felt like our name, formerly Mental Health Center of Denver, was a barrier to access for some folks who needed our help, right? I think that more and more, I think people are comfortable talking about mental health and bringing that forward, but it is still true that there's significant stigma attached with admitting to having sort of a mental health problem. And I think there can be a sort of us versus them 
thinking around like, oh, this, those are people with mental illness, rather than thinking around well-being and like everyone, everyone has some level of well-being and everyone could benefit from improved well-being, right? And so we felt like the new name lined up with our brand promise of powering the pursuit of well-being. In addition, I think that Mental Health Center of Denver is a name that is associated with sort of, this is what a mental health center is and does. And there's sort of standard set of services, psychiatry, psychotherapy, that all community mental health centers provide. At WellPower, we felt like our service lines had really expanded and broadened. And we provide lifespan behavioral health services that include infant mental health programs where we work from prenatal with pregnant moms at risk all the way through to when the child is five years old, working with not just the individual kid, but the dyad, the parent-child relationship and focusing on the health there. We have many residential programs and sort of recognize the impact of housing and the other social determinants of health on people's health and mental illness. And I believe WellPower provides 70% of the residential services that are for people with mental illness here in the state of Colorado. We also have a huge psychosocial rehab program aimed at getting folks either re-engaged in education through, for example, we have a culinary program where we teach people how to sort of work in the food service industry. And we have supported employment programs that are aimed at getting people with mental illness sort of back to work. One of the things that I think we believe really strongly is people's having a sense of purpose and meaning in their life can be a strong driver for mental health and recovery. So I think what's had maybe the most media coverage has been our relationship with the mental health intersection with the criminal justice system, where we've been working with the Denver Department of Public Safety and the Denver Department of Public Health and Environment on sort of ways that mental health can be part of like a first responder. And so we have two different models of that. One, which has been the initial model was a co-responder where one of our licensed clinical social workers would ride along with the Denver police when there was a call that sounded like there may be a mental health element in the 911 call. And that has been really successful and we've expanded it considerably, including co-responders, not just with the police, but also with the RTD, Regional Transportation District, and with the fire department. You know, what we've seen is a massive reduction in the sort of number of arrests that would happen in response to calls like that, flipping the numbers on their head where it used to be 97% of those calls would result in an arrest, largely because the police officers just like, you know what, let's go down to the station and work this out. But with a co-responder there, the number is almost the opposite. It's like 3% involve an arrest and 97% are able to be resolved at the scene. And some of that is once we can de-escalate a situation, sometimes the co-responder is able to stay there while the police go out and resume policing, right? The co-responder can help connect that person to the services they need. But then in 2020, 
we launched a pilot where in 911 calls where dispatch is able to determine that there is sort of no crime or dangerousness or weapon involved, that we send a well-powered clinician along with a Denver health paramedic with no police officer at all. So that program is called STAR or Support Team Assisted Response. And it's had great results. There was actually a study published this summer from Stanford that showed that not only were the calls from STAR sort of successful in de-escalating the situation, but it actually involved a sort of reduction in crime in the areas where star was responding. And so I think this sort of community intervention where we think about public safety as involving a mental health component has been really special and it's something we're really proud of. I want to take a moment and share our next webinar, Patient Room Next, Improving Care Efficiency. The patient room is evolving inside and outside of the four walls of your health system. What is coming next to improve clinical effectiveness through technology with guests from health systems from around the country? We will discuss machine vision, ambient listening, AI, care companions, and much more. Before the webinar, check out the briefing campaigns being released on our channel now as we speak, conversations with leaders from Monument Health, Intermountain Healthcare, and, and they're just going to build the excitement for this webinar conversation we're having on September 29th. You can find these episodes and register for the webinar at our website, thisweekhealth.com. Just look at the top right-hand corner. We have upcoming webinars right there in the top right. So love to have you join us. Please check it out. Now back to our show. Yeah, well, I love the collaboration. And it's interesting that you mentioned about a lot of people having experienced at some point a behavioral health issue. I was reading an article, I think it was, public by Deloitte, and it was saying that one out of four people have experienced some sort of health mm -hmm. issue, behavioral health issue at some point in their lives. And I was reading, I went to your website, Randy, talk about the rebranding and this collaboration as a community. I love the fact that he said, our former name felt like a stop sign to many people, and we wanted to change it to a big sign that says, welcome, you belong here. So that's amazing. It's really interesting, and I congratulate your organization for all the work. I love the collaboration that you're doing, partnering with the community to help anyone, pretty much. And so let's talk about this transition, right? Because obviously you have brought your services. And how does this process been for your clinician and your patients? Have you seen a difference? What shift have you noticed so far? One of the things that I like about working at WellPower is like we've, we've got a great sort of corporate culture. And I think as a result of that, we have a lot of folks who've worked here for a long time. I've been at WellPower for 14 years, and, and there are a number of folks who've been there for twice as long. Some of those staff were pretty attached to the old name, I have to say. And so it was a mixed bag initially, although I think people are now sort of on board with it and understand sort of what we're trying to do with the new name. I think for the people we serve, the response has been positive. Some folks just want to know, are we still there for them? And we absolutely are. And I think we will see what the sort of longer term impact is. You're right about the statistics, right? So it's one in four people have a lifetime mental illness, one in five have a current mental illness is what we're seeing. And of those folks with a mental illness, 60% of them right now don't receive any kind of professional treatment for them. 
And we've got a real clinician shortage. So, you know, I think the Affordable Care Act providing more healthcare coverage, especially in Colorado, a Medicaid expansion state, has meant that healthcare coverage isn't the biggest barrier to treatment now. But finding a provider that is able to treat you is something that has been a struggle for a lot of folks, I think. And we are looking to, you know, how can we change that? One of the things I was excited to talk to you a little bit about is we currently have a grant-funded program called Therapy Direct. So we applied for a two-year SAMHSA grant. SAMHSA is the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Service Administration that's part of HHS at the federal level. And they award us a two-year grant to stand up this program for behavioral health virtual urgent care. And so what does that mean? What that means is that we've got a team of clinicians standing by where anyone, anyone in the sort of Denver metro area can contact us and within 20 minutes be talking to a therapist or a peer supporter around whatever issue they're dealing with. And what we want is this is the sort of exciting new component of our digital front door initiative. What we're looking at doing is saying, how can we provide a digital means for folks to access care when they want it? My team was involved in a project we did with the Colorado Health Innovation Community. This was it was funded, but a bunch of different funders sort of chipped in. It was the Denver Foundation and Rose Community Foundation and Colorado First. And I wish I could remember the other one. I know Colorado Access was also involved, our regional accountable entity here. Anyhow, they brought a number of sort of safety net providers like WellPower through sort of a human-centered sign training program so that we would learn how to use those techniques to solve problems. And the problem we were asking about was, how can we get people the help they need before they ever see us face-to-face? And so we talked to a lot of folks, sort of focusing on a sort of younger population of folks, 18 to 30, who had been in treatment with us before, and talked to folks around like, well, what does mental health mean to you? And where would you go for help? And what do you need? And we learned sort of two things. One is that there's a lot of confusing misinformation. This is a group of folks who, when they start encountering problems, would first turn towards Google and use Dr. Google to diagnose what's going on with them. But there can be so many hits and it's overwhelming. And what do you know to trust? So trusted resources was one thing. But then the second thing is they wanted to speak to someone right away. And what they were experiencing is sort of long wait lists and lines. So I remember one young man in particular told me to get into the counseling center at school, I would have to wait like five weeks for an appointment. And like, I'm not going to have the same problems in five weeks, which is hilarious, yeah. right? From uh, so point of how to think about it. But it is, if what you're trying to do is meet people where they are, that's where young people are. So we're able to stand this program up. And I think last Friday, we had our biggest day yet with helping seven different people in a single day with this sort of fledgling program. But, you know, some of it is just getting the word out, right? Absolutely. I mean, you're absolutely right. Your state of mind right now at this moment, obviously, is not even going to be the same in 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour. So yeah, it's absolutely critical that we provide help, immediate help. And yeah, five weeks is definitely not acceptable. So that's a super exciting program. And so when was this launch you mentioned? We launched it in May, right around the same time as the rebrand. Oh, nice. 
Very, very, that's extremely exciting. And so I want to talk to you about uh, something that you and I, we kind of touched on it, the last conversation that we had, and it was in regards to, obviously there's a lot of investments in behavioral health and into this industry and government grants. And what do you think should be the top priorities for providers and payers? And I know that we talked about moving from a fee-for-service model to value-based care, right? And I, and I know that you had mm-hmm. some thoughts in regards to that. Yeah. Yes. So I'm a big fan of alternate payment models. And I think for me, more of a capitated or prospective payment model kind of system where we're reimbursed to sort of do what it takes to get people the help that they need rather than in a, a sort of a fee-for-service model. Then maybe with value-based payments sort of on top of that, it allows you to, I think, be a little more creative in solving problems and sort of be with people as you help them. One of the things that we do a lot of at WellPower is we have a pretty big intensive case management and assertive community treatment program. And so this is sort of beyond the four walls of the clinic, our case managers going out into the community and helping people connect to the resources that they need and get the help that they need, whether it's related to healthcare, but also social determinants of health, like housing and food. And in a fee-for-service environment, you only get reimbursed for the time you're like face-to-face with the person. But like to do the work well, sometimes it involves going out and finding them. And I think a capitated model allows that, and as well as some other more creative solutions. Here's an example from a story. There was a woman who we were treating who had bipolar disorder. And as a result of that, she had a history of hospitalizations during manic episodes. Each psychiatric hospitalization costs about, on average, $100,000, $10,000 a day for an average of 10 days. So it's a really expensive healthcare event. What we knew about this woman was that she did better when she was connected with her faith community. When she was going to church on a regular basis, she generally was healthier. And yet one obstacle to going to church was feeling like she looked good. And so we would take her to get her haircut and we would pay for the haircut. And when you're in a risk share environment, like we were with Colorado Access at that point, you you can think about how many haircuts you can get for $100,000. And what are you able to do creatively to keep people healthy and connected to resources that keep them healthy? Wow. The the solution was so simple, right? It was about digging more into what was the background story. and Exactly. Wow. That's... That's a very moving story. And again, the more I talk to you, the more impressed I am about the work that you guys are doing. And, and so we're kind of running out of time. The last question to you is disruptive factors in the future of behavioral health. Thoughts? Yeah. So I've been thinking more and more that artificial intelligence is going to really change how we do our work. I think behavioral health in particular has had a lot of sort of regulation and burden placed on it in terms of documentation and all the sort of this and that that it takes. It takes us like two hours to do a full intake with someone. And even a crisis intervention service, we have like a 20-point assessment we have to cover. And that's not about meeting people where they are. And I think that what I'm optimistic about is that AI 
data-driven solutions can help really ease that documentation burden, ease the burden of sort of finding and sifting through the chart for information. And also, I think, leverage regular devices like a smartphone to sort of keep an eye on how people are doing and how their sort of behavioral health vital signs are on a day-to-day basis. So in all sorts of ways, I think we're right on the cusp of some big changes there. Well, that's awesome. Well, thank you, Wes. Now, everybody, you know why Wes is one of my favorite CIOs. He's extremely engaged and committed to our community. And thank you for that, Wes. So everybody, thank you for listening and have a good day. Thanks for having me on, Carla. Thank you, Wes. I really love the show. I love hearing from people on the front lines. I love hearing from these leaders. And we want to thank our hosts who continue to support the community by developing this great content. We also want to thank our show sponsors, Olive, Rubric, Trellix, Medigate, and F5 in partnership with Sirius Healthcare for investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. If you want to support the show, let someone know about our shows. They all start with This Week Health, and you can find them wherever you listen to podcasts. There's Keynote, Town Hall, and Newsroom. Check them out today. And thanks for listening. That's all for now.